Good evening again and welcome again. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know when in all my life I've ever been so glad to see a group of ladies all together in one place. I am so glad you're here. Uh, My name is Amy Storms and I get to work here at Ozark. I've worked here for about almost four years now. Um, I'm the director of marketing. I started off a different role and just this last little bit I've been the director of marketing and it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm married to Andy Storms and he works here too. He is the director of student success, which sounds really fancy, but it just means retention. So between the two of us, I do marketing and he does retention. So that means I try to get students to come here and he tries to get them to stay. So it's a good, it's a good partnership. It works well. Andy and I have three kids. We have all, all three of them are in high school. Nathan is a senior and Ann is a sophomore and with an E. If you're an Ann and Green Gables fan, Ann with an E is a sophomore. And Molly is a freshman, all three in Joplin High School, and they're a lot of fun. I didn't expect the teenage years to be this much fun, but they really are. Um, I stayed home with them when they were small. They were a lot of fun when they were little. They were busy, you know, busy years. But now, uh, now I just love that they're grown up, too. They're still busy, but now they can drive themselves, and that, that helps a lot, doesn't it? Um, we actually live here on the campus of Ozark Christian College, uh, which is Kind of funny, in addition to Andy's role as retention, in retention he also is a residence director, um, which means we live in a dorm. We live in a men's dorm in Strong Hall. Um, he is the, the dorm dad, I'm the dorm mom, so our five family of five uh, lives in this little apartment that's attached to the lobby of the, of the men's dorm. And then in addition to my three kids, I've got about 70 sons this semester who, who come in and crash on my floor and watch my TV and eat my food, and they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I, I love it. And when I tell people that we live in a dorm, in a boy's dorm, with two teenage daughters, they, um, they, make, they make the exact kind of face that you're making at me right now. Just kind of, it's a mix of, of confused and concerned, just trying, as you try to picture, imagine what, what that life is like. And, and I'll just describe it to you this way. Um, it's exactly what you picture. It's, it's exactly what you're imagining right now. You're imagining loud and chaotic and smelly, and it's all of that and more. And no, we love it. We, we really do. Um, Andy and I graduated from Ozark back in the 90s, um, back in the 1900s, you know. And we, we have loved this place for a long time, and we're so glad to get to be back and be a part of it. And i got to tell you that now that I'm here in and, and, um Knowing the students I get to know and living with the students I get to live with, I have never been more excited at what the Lord has in store for his church through the ministry of this place. Uh, These kids love Jesus, and they love his word, and they know it. And here at Ozark, they're being trained so well for whatever kingdom assignment God has in store for them. And now you're here at Ozark, too, and I'm so glad you are. And I know a lot of you are familiar with the college, uh, more familiar with than it with it than I am even. You've been here longer. Um, you've been at women's conference and familiar with that. And I've been praying though that someone is here that's not familiar with the women's conference, that's maybe not even familiar with the word of God, and that you're here for the first time, maybe you're going to hear some things for the first time as we dive in and look, look at his word together. This weekend, you know, is called a study in the book of John. Um, nowadays, most conferences you go to are named some kind of fun, cool verb like awake or 
refresh or transform. And you came to a weekend called study, right? And I, I applaud you for that because that means you knew you came in knowing we were going to dive into God's word, right? And when you think about it, though, what can be more awakening or more refreshing or more transforming than that? So my prayer for months now has been that we will, all of us, myself most of all, leave this place changed for his glory because we studied, because we encountered him in his word together this weekend. So let's get started. Would you open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 2. The book of John. John is my favorite of all four of the gospel accounts. And in John chapter 2, we're going to find Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. And he's about to perform his first miracle. Now that's going to be important to us because his, his first miracle, he's really setting the stage for who he is and what he's going to be about. And he's going to tell us what God is like by this miracle. Uh, he's telling people who God is. And this first miracle we'll find is going to happen at a wedding. Now weddings back then would have lasted anywhere, depending on how wealthy the family was, they would have lasted from one day up to even seven days. Anybody ever planned a wedding before, maybe for yourself or for your daughter? You planned your wedding. Anybody grateful that it didn't last for up to seven days, right? Right? But this one might have. And this might have been someone in Jesus' family or at least someone he was close to because he was invited, his friends were invited, and his mother, Mary, will find us there. She's actually kind of helping in the wedding. So this was probably someone that they were close to. So that's the setting for our story. The start of the ministry, the end of the wedding. Let's read together, beginning in John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I love this story. I love the mother and son interaction in the beginning of this passage. I have a son, Nathan. And Nathan is my firstborn, and he's graduating from high school next month. I don't know how that happened, but he is. I had Nathan when I was 23, and I'm 40 now, which means to this point, my entire adulthood has been focused on getting him to his adulthood. You know what I mean? Um, He was my firstborn, so he was my guinea pig. I I tried motherhood out on him, highs and lows, poor guy. Um, And we kind of grew up together in a way. In this year, his last year home, as he's getting ready to leave the nest, and he's coming to Ozark for college, so in our home, that means he's getting ready to move down the hall, you understand? But you know, you know I will cry just as hard when he does as if he moved across the country. But he's getting ready to leave the nest, and, 
And my heart has been all year very tender to the fact that it's time. Like this is what we've been preparing for all these years. It's time. A while back, Nathan was standing in the lobby of our dorm. He was just talking to somebody. And I walked up next to him and just kind of out of reflex, he just slung his arm over my shoulder, you know. He's taller than I am, so he's kind of draping over me. And all at once, I had this flash of memory of when he was this high and he'd walk up to me and hold his little hand up to mine and I just started to bawl just out of nowhere. And then just no sound was coming out, just tears, you know, because I was just overcome with the fact that it's time, that this is what we've been working for. This is what we've been preparing for. And in this story, Mary has treasured up all these memories of her son. Scripture tells us that she did. She had to have had a heart tender toward her boy. If Mary had Jesus when she was 14 or 15 years old, like most scholars say she did, and and he's 30 here in John 2 at the start of his ministry, then that means that at this time Mary's only 44, 45, right? And a while back I would have told you she was pretty old, but I'm here to tell you 45 is very young, right? (laughs) 45 is super young. She was a young mom. So they would have grown up together too, wouldn't they? And here in John 2, as his ministry was beginning... I wonder if she was overcome with a sense that it was time. Maybe not actually at this exact moment, because she seems pretty busy with this wedding. But I think she knew it was time. So Mary looks at her son in verse 3, and she says, They have no more wine. Or maybe she said it more like, They have no more wine! In a panic. I don't know how she said it. How embarrassing for this wedding party that they ran out of this. But soon they'll find that miraculously, Jesus offers more. There in your notes, wine represents... More. More of what they needed. I wonder, what do you need? In this season of your life, with all its ups and downs, at the end of the day, when your head hits the pillow, what do you need more of? When our kids were younger, I stayed home with them, as I said, and Andy worked on staff at a church at the time, so he was gone all day and a lot of evenings, and and uh, we were busy at home, and, and he's very thoughtful, very thoughtful guy, and so every day... At some point in the day, he would call home just to check on us, right? Because he's nice like that. And sometimes we'd pass the phone around and talk, let all the kids talk to daddy, you know. And he usually called around lunch, you know. And it was very thoughtful, but not helpful at all. Because it's lunchtime, right? And I'm busy. And, and then I have to clean up lunch. And then I have to put them down for naps. And not thoughtful at all. And I'm not a good phone talker anyway. I just don't really like to chat on the phone. And so... I would talk for just a minute and then impatiently, inevitably, in the phone call somewhere, I would say, what do you need? Like, let's get to it. Like, why are you calling, right? And so, ladies, let's get to it this weekend. Between you and the Lord, what do you need? What would you ask of him? In John 2, they needed more wine for their celebration. They were all out. Have you ever been all out of something, lacked something that you needed? Maybe it's something minor, You got started baking cookies, and then you thought, I'm all out of eggs, right? Something little, but maybe it's something major, something physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Have you ever found yourself in desperate need of more of something? Mary said to her son, they have no more wine. They're out. Her statement here is what every mom would recognize as an understood command, right? A sort of implied imperative. She didn't ask Jesus to do anything, really. She just 
said the problem. She didn't say, hey, can you run home and grab some more wine and come back really fast? No, she just said the problem. She said, they have no more wine. She didn't ask him. And for a mom, a, a statement saying the problem is as good as a direct order, right? Right? So when your mom says things like, you left your shoes in the living room, there's toothpaste in the sink, this music is too loud, what's she really saying? Clean it up, turn it down, right? Fix this. That's what Mary was saying, fix this. And Jesus sounds at first like he's not going to help because he said it wasn't his hour, his time. Put a pin in that and we'll come back to that later. He said, it's not my time, but then he went ahead and did what his mother was asking. Honestly, probably he did more than she was asking. Scholars think that she probably wasn't asking him to poof, make wine. This was his his first miracle, so she might have not known he could even do that. She was probably just asking him to smooth things over publicly. They were so embarrassed that they ran out. So he was probably, she's probably just asking him to, can you make this better diplomatically? Can you make them not embarrassed anymore? She just wanted him to fix it. And he said, it's not my time. To which I'm pretty sure she rolled her eyes. It, it doesn't say that in the text, but I would have. And then she told the servants to just do whatever he says because she knew he'd help. And he did. And he did more than just save them from embarrassment. He saved the day, didn't he? He gave more wine. He gave just what they needed. What do you need? What do you need more of? I told you we live in a men's dorm in a tiny apartment that's with five people in this tiny apartment and inside a home with 70 more people, right? And I work all day. And and I'm a big introvert, I should tell you that. I'm a big introvert. I would really just like to live in a cabin in the woods somewhere and be a hermit. That would be fine with me, as long as it had, you know, central heat and air and really good Wi-Fi and a few other things. I could totally be by myself, right? But I don't. I have a job. I work all day in an office full of people. And then I come home in the evening and I live in a little house full of more people, which is inside a bigger house full of a lot more people, right? And there's some evenings when... The guys come into our house and they're watching, they're hyper and they're watching sports and hyper volumes. And I just, some evenings look at Andy and I say, I'm out. And I go back to my bedroom, which is back in the back of the apartment. And I read or I sleep or I watch British things on Netflix because, because I don't have any more. I am all out. What do you need? What are you all out of? How would your heart finish? Verse 3. Lord, I have no more. What are you in need of? Take just a moment, would you? Fill in that blank that's in your notes there. I have no more. Maybe you'd say I have no more money. No more friendship, hope, peace. My kids are grown now. I have no more purpose. My marriage is over. I have no more love. No more forgiveness. No more time, satisfaction, rest. Maybe you'd say, I have no more respect for my husband, God. I need more from this man. But we keep looking for more from other people, don't we? And and not getting it. We look for more from our kids when they're little. We say, we need an identity from you. So we try to Instagram their lives so we look like we have a purpose, right? When they're older, we need more from them. And so we just try to pout and manipulate just enough to coerce what we need out of them. Trying to get more from them. People can't give us more. Sometimes we go to our husbands and we try to get more from them and, and they're not able to satisfy. And so we 
play with fire and build an emotional connection with a man who's not our husband. It's all because we're looking for more. We just want more. Ladies, how does your heart fill in the blank? Whatever it is, write it in there as a prayer, as an implied command, if you will, to the Lord, to Jesus. Lord, I have no more. Let's get to the heart of it. What do you need? So Jesus instructs his servants to fill those huge six jars with water, and they do. And then he says, take some of it to the banquet master, and they do. And somehow, somewhere along the way, the crystal clear water becomes choice wine. And in verse 10, the master of the banquet tells the bridegroom, who honestly had nothing to do with it, he said, everybody saves the cheap stuff till the end, but you save the best till now. You have saved the best till now. I love this verse because Jesus outdoes himself with something better than just good. He gives the best. They needed more wine, so he gave them great wine. In scripture, wine represents joy. Now, I did not say that wine brings joy, okay? Or wine leads to joy. Let me hasten to clarify before you write me a letter. I said in scripture, and especially in the Old Testament, wine is often a symbol, a metaphor for joy. Wine often represents joy. Point two in your notes, Jesus offers joy. He offers the best. He doesn't just give you what you need. He goes beyond need. He gives more than you could ever want. What do you want? Ladies, how's your joy? Does joy elude you? Real joy, not just temporary fleeting happiness, but soul-satisfying joy. On paper, maybe you've got everything you could want in life, really. But do you still have a kind of nagging sense that maybe you're not living in the best till now kind of joy-filled life? How's your joy? My daughter, Anne, is a compassionate soul like her daddy. And like her daddy, she's a feeler. She feels very deeply. She's 16, you know. You've been 16 or you have a daughter who's 16. So you know they feel very deeply. But even before she was 16, even when she was just a tiny little bug, and felt deeply and when she was when she was happy the world was happy and when she cried she roared and when she was sick she was dying you know and she just go with the emotions and i remember when she was little if if her siblings crossed her in any way or if she had to eat vegetables or if anything unhappy happened Anne would collapse in a heap on the floor and wail i can't get happy i can't get happy ladies sometimes can you not get happy i just would leave her in the floor i would you've got everything you need really you don't need more anything really you've got plenty of money and friends and love but you still just can't get happy jesus offers joy abiding abounding joy he doesn't just give you enough he gives you extra He doesn't just give you what you know you lack. He goes beyond that to give you what you didn't even think to ask for. Joy for your soul. You can't get happy on your own. But Jesus offers joy. He gives you the very best. Have you ever met someone who didn't want to get happy? They they didn't want to have joy? I've encountered people like that in church and ministry. And you'll meet ladies who want to tell you every bad thing, often about church and ministry, And goodness, you listen to them and you realize they're right. Things are very bad. But after a while, you start to 
realize you just want to be grouchy, don't you? you? You don't really want things to get better. You don't want joy. Why do we live like that? Why do we find some sort of twisted happiness by constantly being unhappy? Or is it just a habit of grouchy? Let's stop doing that. Let's take hold of the joy that Jesus offers. He has saved the best till now. Can I tell you something I've noticed about our lack of joy? There seems to be a connection between joy and service. Also between joy and relationship. There often seems to be a connection between women with a low level of joy and a low level of service. Could it be that service fills us up with joy? Could it be that when we're busy serving, we don't have time to complain and criticize? Same with relationship. People who have poor joy often have poor relationships. Listen, I can lose my joy very quickly when I dwell on everything that's wrong with Andy Storms or my kids or my co-workers or my church. Nothing steals my joy faster than thinking about what's wrong with other people. But what if I decided instead to grow a relationship, to love, to forgive, to build a friendship with someone who's different from me and serve them? That younger lady in your church whose kids are just wild, what if you blessed her with a meal and dropped it off at her house? That neighbor who lets her dog do its business on your lawn and it drives you crazy, what if you got to know her story and invited her in, built a friendship with her and loved her? Husband, what if you went home this weekend and just decided to let him off the hook about everything? Stop demanding that he put more effort into your marriage than you're actually willing to give yourself. What about the minister at your church who doesn't wear what you wish he'd wear or preach what you wish he'd preach or sing what you wish he'd sing? What if tomorrow or Sunday you just complimented him? Our joy increases when we serve people and our joy increases when we love people because our joy comes from Jesus. He served and loved people. In your notes there, you have a cheesy little thing that's called the joyometer. I call it the joyometer. I'm not proud of it. I'm just not very creative. The joyometer. You're supposed to measure how much joy you have. I wonder where your joy level is presently. So mark. go ahead and mark on there. You can make a little hash mark and write your name or me right there and then color in. There's, I think there's colors on your table. You can color in how far up your joy level goes. And then over the top of the joyometer, somewhere above that whole picture, would you make another hash mark that says Jesus? Because that's the joy level that he's offering you, above and beyond, more than you even knew you wanted. He has saved the best till now. And here's the thing about now. It's always now. Right now isn't just now, but it's also right now. And Right now, now, right? It's always now. Jesus saves the best till, and the most joyous times until now. Not till someday when all your bills are paid. Not when your career is set. Not when your kids are at home. Not when they're grown and gone. He offers joy now. Not when I lose weight and find a man, then I'll have joy. That'll be the best. No. Christ saves the best till now. In the midst of it all, even in the hardships, 
Not even, well, I'm just waiting until I finally get to heaven and then I'll have joy. No, the kingdom is near. Jesus offers joy now. In his presence, the best is now. A life marked by Christ is a life marked by joy. You can't get happy. Jesus offers joy. Ultimately, and most importantly, John 2 tells us that Jesus offers himself. He offers himself. Matter of fact, that's how he gives us the more of what we need and the best till now joy that we want. He gives us himself. Our questions, what do you need and what do you want, are more than answered in Jesus Christ because he offers himself. The jars that the water was in before Jesus turned it into wine, those big, huge jars that each held 20 to 30 gallons of water, those were purification jars. They would have been filled with water to cleanse people, to make the unworthy person clean enough before God. I told you that in Scripture, wine's a symbol of joy, but what else is wine a symbol of in Scripture? Blood. In Scripture, wine represents blood. Jesus was saying he's going to offer himself, that his blood will be the once-for-all purification to make the unworthy person clean. He's saying this water won't cut it. You need my blood. Remember I pointed out earlier that Jesus told Mary it wasn't his hour, wasn't his time, and it didn't make sense because he went ahead and did what she was asking anyway, so why did he say it wasn't his time? Well, it's because of this. In the book of John, every time Jesus says my hour or my time, he's talking about his death. So when Jesus said it's not my hour, not my time, he's saying it's not yet time for me to go to the cross. So Mary said they have no more wine, no more literal wine. And he answered, it's not yet time for my blood, wine, my, my death. It's not yet time for me to shed my blood and make the purification sacrifice. In the Old Testament, Moses' first public miracle was to turn the water of the Nile into blood. And Moses brought the law, right? But here in the New Testament, Jesus' first public miracle was to turn the water into wine, into blood, if you will. And by that blood, he brought life look again at verse 11 john 2 11 what jesus did here in cana of galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him the disciples had started following jesus not long before this story he called them to follow him but here in verse 11 his disciples what believed in him these men who'd followed now believed they got it saw who he was as he revealed his glory remember first miracle so he's setting the stage for who he is and what he'll be about jesus is saying what god is like he's saying not just that he has the power to do something impressively miraculous but he also has the love to do something good like ozark's president matt proctor often prays god you're great enough to help us and you're good enough to want to it's in jesus himself that God gives us more of what we need and everything we want. And in this moment, Jesus' disciples saw all that he offered, and they believed. I read about some Bible translators in the New Hebrides Islands. I have no idea where the New Hebrides Islands are, just to be honest. I barely know where Joplin is. But they were in the New Hebrides Islands. I'm sure it's lovely there. And they were translating the New Testament, and they were struggling to find a word for believe. It's a big deal because 
That's a big concept in Scripture, right? They couldn't find a word for believe. And finally, one Bible translator named John Patton figured it out. Uh, He was out hunting with one of the tribesmen. They were off in the mountains somewhere, and they killed a deer, big deer. It was so big that they had to tie it to a pole and carry it back between them all the way back to John's house. And they had to go through this steep mountain path carrying this huge load. Finally got to his house, and they dropped it on his porch, exhausted, and they collapsed in these chairs that he had on his porch there. And the native said in his language, My, it's good to stretch yourself out here and rest. Patton immediately reached for paper and pen to write that down, write down that phrase. His final translation of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever stretches himself out on him should not perish but have eternal life. To believe is to stretch out on Christ and rest. Because when it was time, the Lamb of God stretched himself out on the cross and died for you. He offered himself. Ladies, do you believe? You believe in God, I know. Some of you, quite frankly, have been coming to the women's conference at Ozark since before I was born. I know you believe in God. But do you believe him for all that he offers and all that he is? You believe he offers the more that you need and the best till now joy that you want. You believe that he's great enough to help you, good enough to want to. On your handout, you have another space there to write about belief. It says, Lord, help me believe. Take a moment to write in that space. Lord, help me believe you about this situation or conflict. Or maybe you say, Lord, help me believe that you're great enough to take care of whatever it is. Lord, help me believe you about my career. Lord, you're the redeemer. Help me believe that you'll redeem my marriage. Maybe you just want to make a list of all your doubts and offer them up to the Lord as a prayer for more belief. As the band plays, would you take a minute to write in that space now? Stretch out on Christ and rest. Let me leave you tonight with another wedding scene, also given to us by the Apostle John. This one is in the book of Revelation. Talk about best till now joy, right? Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words.